Sing it out. This is our destiny. The battle's already won. Make it loud. We're giving everything. By the cross, we have overcome. Welcome back, everybody, to the uh, Home Bible Study Podcast. Um, we are currently studying in the letter to the Hebrews. We are in chapter 11. If you want to get your Bible, open up to chapter 11. We're going to be studying starting from verse 17. So a little introduction. Um, I cannot really put into context the grandeur of what we're about to study, but I'm hoping that God, the Holy Spirit, will lead and guide you individually and me and us together into the gravity of what is being revealed here. And a lot of times I feel like that when we study the Bible, I know for me personally, um, I don't always get the full application of it. I can only apply it as far as my faith will allow. So that depends on where I am in my growth process. So the more I am able to grow and the Lord matures me, uh, and that's definitely a process, um, then I'm able to understand the depth, the width, you know, the broadness of what it is that we are experiencing in our relationship with God. So the more we understand who God is and the vastness of his uh, person, of just uh, it's 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 awesome, and the word of God is His word. So those things are going to be reflected in His word, and as we grow, we're able to see more and more of that. I believe, and that should be an encouragement. I offer that as an encouragement to uh, really grow, to really ask the Lord to give you wisdom and guidance. Uh, into his word and into this life and the relationship with him. And it's hard. You know, we learn and we grow by trials. And we're going to be studying today about one particular trial um, that came in the life of Abraham. And it seems like, you know, wow, I don't really want trials. You know, they're difficult. Uh, they hurt. It's kind of like working out. You know, you go and you work out. And you haven't done it in a while, and man, it's painful. But if we would just stay in the Word, if we would continue to uh, press forward and not stop, um, I think we will find that we'd have that muscle memory, that spiritual muscle memory, to where, yeah, there's going to be some pain and discomfort, but it's not as painful uh, as it would have been because we have exercised those spiritual muscles. So, um, Hopefully that makes sense, but uh, <laughs> I feel like that uh, it's such a blessing. So just kind of keep that in mind, and I hope that would encourage you to just continue in the Word, continue to study, uh, continue to follow along with this study or you know whatever good Bible study that you find and the Lord leads you to be a part of, but just continue. Don't stop. Continue and be consistent and you're going to find that um, there's so many wonderful things that you're going to experience and know uh, in your relationship with the Lord Jesus that 
uh, are just I, beyond my ability to describe. So I pray that for you, and I hope that that is the result uh, of the life of faith that he has uh, for you. So with that said, let's get into the this particular study. We're looking at, like I said, Hebrews chapter 11. We are uh, in verse 17, and this is all about faith. We're seeing so many facets of faith and how that it is manifested in the lives of believers. So here we're going to kind of move and transition into a different area. And I think as we go through the rest of this chapter and into the next chapters, we're going to see a development of what what it looks like to have a walk of faith from the perspective of the relationship with God. What does that look like? Like we've seen what faith looks like and we've seen the evidence of faith and, you know, the actions of faith. Now we're kind of moving into, okay, what does that look like when it's applied to a life, right? To your life, to my life, to the lives of others. So I think we're moving into that kind of area. And uh, with that said, let's go ahead and start with verse 17. And I'm going to go ahead and read the verse here. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Uh, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. So I'm going to stop there. So here we're going to see a callback, like the rest of this chapter has been, a historical callback. And we've seen Abraham before. Um, we talked about him. And when we talked about the, the sojourning, uh, leaving his home, and the uh, picture was painted of how he left his home looking forward to better things, a better city. And now we're going to see uh, Abraham again. And I, I don't think it's an accident that we're seeing Abraham multiple times because Abraham's life, if you look in the book of Genesis, there's more about Abraham than anyone else. Um, he was where it started. He is where God decided, okay, I'm going to build this promise through this individual. And I was thinking about it as I was studying uh, for this lesson. You know, we look at Genesis and there's a lot of people that attack the Bible and they say, well, you know, what about this? And there's no record of this. And what about this? And you know, there's a lot of questions around uh, the account because Genesis starts from the very beginning of the creation of man. And, the, and you know, there's a lot of people that utilize the gaps in history there to question and to cause doubt. Understand that the account of Genesis is not an historical account of everything that happened in the world up till now or up to Abraham. It was only those significant things that happened that applied to the eventual birth of Christ. Everything that's uh, being revealed has a significance to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the account. That's why it's given. 
There's a lot of facts, a lot of things that happen that are not recorded. Well, why? Because they don't have anything to do with the Lord Jesus. So that's just keep that in mind and uh, understand that the account that we have paints the picture of from the very beginning and how those facts are related to ultimately the revelation, the full revelation of Christ to man. And if you're God, then that makes a lot of sense because you're God. And so you're going to reveal the things that have to do with, you know, your purpose and your plan. So anyway, with that said, let's look at the verse uh, that we have before us today. So we're looking at Abraham again. We're looking at his life and there's an, this event in his life uh, is very significant. Um, you know, uh, it says by faith, Abraham. So uh, again, we're tying in faith and God's people and this particular person, Abraham. It says, uh, we're going to look at this one who's the father of the nation. You know, he's the father of the line of the promised one, the Lord Jesus. That's the significance of Abraham. That's why Abraham's life is significant as it relates to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't have a life that relates to the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have a life of significance. Okay? So, but if you do have a life, if you are one that has been called and, and uh, are saved, then your life is very, is very significant beyond what you even understand. Just like Abraham, he had no idea how significant the events of his life were. But he certainly knows that now. So we need to keep that in mind. So here we have Abraham, and we're going to see how God the Holy Spirit is going to interpret this, uh, this literal account of what happened to us now. And we're going to see how God the Holy Spirit is going to use this account to show us not only the significance to Abraham, but also to the bigger picture of the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the intent here. So it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested. So let's look at that word tested. Uh, what does that mean, tested? Well, it means to be tried. And um, if you're a believer, then you know about trials. You know about being tried. And there's a purpose in trials. We don't go through things without a purpose. You know, the unsafe, they go through things and they don't understand it. They, they don't see the purpose in it. They feel like it's just unmerited and it's wrong and the world is just beating up on them. You know, I saw somebody posted something on one of the social media accounts and it said something to the effect that, you know, when is my luck going to get better? Because that's all they can understand. They just think it has something to do with luck. And, you know, luck is not real. There's no such thing as luck. Everything that happens to everyone is purposed by God. And so we know that by revelation. And here we see it uh, laid out to us clearly that Abraham was tested and God tests his people. Now, it's going to happen. We're going to have to face trials. And when we face these trials, they don't always feel good, but they're good for us. And we have to keep that in mind and not be afraid of that. We should embrace that knowing that with a trial, God is going to give us grace. There is grace with every trial. And if we would focus on the grace, we won't focus on the trial. 
And before you know it, we've learned what we needed to learn. We've gained the muscle that we needed from that, and we're on to the next one. So a key element of a walk of faith is being tested. Um, we measure children as they develop. You know, that's what we do is when a baby's born, we, we, we have a percentile that they fall in. So, so there's a measurement there, but there's an end to that. We have a, a goal that we'll be able to know where that child is developmentally. You know, it's normal to test. Uh, we measure them from from birth to ensure that they're developing at a normal and healthy rate. Well, if we notice any lack of development, we can address that. Um, so in addressing it early, we get the best outcomes. So God does the same thing with his children. If you think about it, we're the children of God and we're in a developmental state. While we're here on earth, we have what's known as a progressive salvation, a progressive, let me correct that, a progressive sanctification. Uh, we're completely saved, but the sanctification is progressive. So there's a positional that we're sanctified in Christ and it's said, but we're working our salvation outwardly. So there's a progression there and that's the development. And so through that development, you have to have certain tests, not so that God can see where you are, because he knows, but so that God can show us what he's done in us. Because if we're not tried, if we're not tested, we're not really conscious of all that he's done in our lives. Now, those of us who lived a little while, we're a little older, we can look back and we can go, wow, you know, look where God has brought us. So we should witness and encourage um, others uh, of that and make them to know, hey, you know what? This trial is for a reason and it's for your good. So we need to understand that God has a purpose in these tests. He doesn't just randomly test people for no reason uh, just to get jollies. There's a purpose in it. And it's a divine purpose, it's a holy, and it's a righteous purpose, and it's for our benefit, you know. Um, it's very important that we understand that, that, uh, you know, as we enter in this section, it's, it's going to establish more about the particulars of the relationship that God has with his people. And this walk of faith uh, and testing is a very much a part of that. Uh, we're made a spectacle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 9, um, understand that the things that we're, when we're tried, when we go through these things, um, it's not a private matter. My trials that I'm enduring right now or facing, you don't know anything about. But God in heaven knows everything about it. And we are put on display, Paul says, we're a spectacle uh, because we evidence the power of God. And how is that evidence in us? Through trials and testing, you know? And that's the same thing that happened here with Abraham and it happens with us. So we're gonna begin uh, to examine what that really means, this life of faith, and uh, see how it's manifested in the life of Abraham. So just kind of sit back. Let's watch this whole scene unfold as, as the Holy Spirit uh, elaborates and makes us to see 
uh, how big this event was, right, that happened to Abraham, that it was much bigger than just what was happening in his life. There's a much broader application of these things. And um, the same thing is true for us, whether we know it or not. The things that we face, there's a much broader application and a bigger picture that we play, a bigger part that we play in this um, unfolding of God's purpose and plan. I mean, we're part of that. And one day we're going to look back on our lives and we're going to see that God had far more um, for us and used us in ways that we never could have imagined. So just know that in faith and, you know, press on, press on through the trial. Verse 17, it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried. So um, specifically, what was this trial? Because Abraham had a lot of trials, right? But specifically, when he offered up Isaac. So that's what we're talking about. Um, when he offered up Isaac, this was a very particular event. And this event has... Um, much broader uh, implications in our day than it did to Abraham at the time. Uh, he only saw the peril of the event. Like, wow, this is something big. God is asking me to do and I need to do it. And he had to really um, trust the Lord in it. And But here we see that it was much bigger. Hopefully we're going to see that it was much bigger than that. So the particular event was when he offered up Isaac. This event was bigger than he realized. The only event that I think in scripture that could rival this testing was the testing of Job, right? Because that happened prior to this. Uh, Job is considered by a lot of people to be the oldest book in the Bible. And... Um, that it actually, the events of Job's life predates Moses giving the account of the history of the Lord Jesus Christ in, in the Pentateuch. So um, Job was tested. If you remember, if you're familiar with the account of Job, um, the Lord uh, told the devil, he said, hey, have you considered my servant Job? So basically God brings the testing upon Job to reveal something, not just to Job, not just to us, but also to all of creation. Um, and that's what we have to understand is that our lives that we live are under that kind of scrutiny. We are made manifest to... Uh, I believe the host of heaven <laughs> that uh, are the things that happen in our lives are uh, of that kind of significance. And that's why God pointed out Job and used Job's life as a testimony to the power of God in faith in mankind. And, you know, you have to think uh, Satan knows that there is a judgment, a reckoning coming. You know, there's a popular song out right now that you'll hear it on a lot of the social media reels. I watch those things. Um, 
every once in a while and you'll hear it and it's a song by oh i can't think of the name of the lady who sings it but basically it says if she could she would make a deal with god um and run up the hill so uh it's a very obscure song that is really come back and um been become very popular i think because of the reels but basically that's uh what satan wants to do he wants to make a deal with god and he wants to negotiate his way out of judgment and that's that's if you think about it that's like the mind of the unsaved person they they think they there's a there's a way out any other way other than the path that the lord jesus has laid out they want to take it they want to create their create their own path to salvation and their own path to success but the reality is is that god has one way to save mankind right it's through the lord jesus christ and oftentimes i believe that we are uh, tried so that we can manifest these the truths of god's power like his power is manifest in us and we're hopefully we're going to see that so so this is a huge event and it's not just an isolated event that happened to abraham but it's an eternal event this 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 testing had an eternal value right um that reaches all the way into our lives today so that's how huge this event was that happened to little Abraham. Um, and the the trial that you're going through, it could very well have the same significance. Definitely it has that significance between you and the Lord Jesus and your relationship as it develops. So understand that and look to him for the grace to face the trial and to... Um, be faithful in it. That's all we can do. So um, this this is what happened. This is the event that's accounted. It's when Abraham offered up Isaac. So um, it's important for us to understand that faith has to be tested. It's just part of uh, what faith is. You know, it's like you have to test it. And in testing faith, it gives us a strength. It gives us a power and an understanding of where we are and where we came from and what God has accomplished in our lives. So to be able to understand our growth, to be able to understand Abraham's growth, um, Abraham had to be tested just like us. And it's very important to see how Abraham responded to the test so that we can see what our response should be. Because these things were given for our example, right? That's the purpose of this, these accounts that why God recorded these events. So um, it's important for us to understand that. Um, and also know that one day um, we are going to, as difficult as it may be believed, we're going to judge angels. You know, that's what the Bible says. And I believe that, you know, we're not going to stand in judgment over them because how can we we're just human beings but by any power in, a, in us but i believe that the power of the witness of our lives just like the power of the witness of abraham's life here that same power works in us the same faith 
that power of that witness of our lives that we live by faith in Christ, that's going to be how, that's going to be the, uh, what's used to judge these, these angels. So, um, it's important to understand the value and the importance of our walk in faith. It has an eternal weight of value. Second Corinthians uh, 4, 7 through 12. I'm going to read that. And you can see how that um, there's this, uh, this value beyond us. Second Corinthians, starting in verse... Seven, it says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body, okay? For which we live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest. See that? It's made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. So that is a very deep verse. (laughs) And there's a lot to unravel there but essentially what he's saying is that our lives are a testimony of the righteousness and the life of Christ that we have died to sin and now we live to Christ in faith we manifest that living in Christ and walking in faith we testify to all of creation right in spite of the persecution, in spite of the difficulty of the trials, in spite of all the adversity that we're going to face, we witness and testify to the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ through us, living in us as we walk in faith. And that's exactly what we're going to see, I believe, here with Abraham, that his life and the actions that he took are an example of how we testify to the world, right? To all of creation, even the um, in the heavens, that the Lord Jesus and his righteousness is in us, right? And that as we walk in faith, we testify to that. Right. It, it's, there's, a, there's a testimony that we have that's broader than just the thing that we're facing right now. So kind of keep that in mind. And let's see if we can see that here in Abraham's life. So by faith, when he was tried, it says that uh, he offered up Isaac. So some people are going to say that there's an error here. In Genesis 22, chapter 22, it gives us the details of this event. Here, I believe the Holy Spirit gives us an amplification on these events of this test in Abraham's life and how they apply to us. Because it says that, uh, and he, 
that had received the promises offered up Isaac. So in Genesis 22, it tells us, and I'll give you a little synopsis. You can go and read that. It's a wonderful account and it's worth reading through um, how that God called Abraham one day and said, hey, you get Isaac, you take him to a place here. Uh, I'm going to show you and I want you to sacrifice him, offer him up. Now, we know subsequently when the nation Israel was established, God made it very clear in his law, which his law is a reflection of what is right, okay, that there is no human sacrifice ever. He never asked. He said that was wrong and he would never um, allow human sacrifice. Now, a lot of the pagan worships, they included human sacrifice. And it was disgusting. I mean, I won't even go into the details of how they used to, the things they did to even infants. It was just, just disgusting. Uh, but God spoke very clearly against that. But here, before there was a law ever created, he used this situation and circumstance to be a test to Abraham. So that's why I think it's very significant that he asked Abraham to sacrifice uh, Isaac, but there's even greater significance beyond that. Hopefully, that we'll see. But here it says that, and he that had received the promises, meaning Abraham, offered up Isaac. So I don't want to go by this too fast because it says that Abraham actually offered up Isaac, but the account in um, Genesis 22 says that God stopped him right before he offered up Isaac. So somebody's going to say, see, here's an error in the Bible, right? Because Genesis 22 says God stopped Abraham. That's Genesis 22, 11 through 12. But here it says Abraham offered him up. There's obviously a mistake, but there's no mistake. There is no, definitely there's not a mistake. How do I know this, you ask? Because you have to take the whole of scripture to understand scripture. You cannot just take an isolated scripture and say, okay, start expounding on it and make it into whatever you want it to be. There's a, a wholeness, a completeness, a unity of the scripture from all these different sources. They have one message and there's a unity there. When you study it, and you study the Bible carefully, you're going to see and find how the this all comes together because it all speaks of one person. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's all his word. So, so here we see uh, where somebody would jump on this and say, well, yeah, you know, they'll just pick up the Bible and say, well, there's an error. And a lot of people will just buy into that. Why? Because for some reason, Unbeknownst to me, people think that you can just pick up the Bible, read a, a verse of scripture, and you have perfect understanding of it without any type of study, any learning, any research whatsoever. But what's interesting is nobody does that with law. Nobody says, you know what? I'm going to be on trial. I'm going to go get a law book. I'm going to read a couple of pages in that book, and I'll be ready to defend myself. I mean, it's asinine. It's asinine. Nobody does that. We go to school, we learn, we go, we get a degree, and we apply that knowledge, and we learn and we grow. That's how you do it. It's the same thing with the scripture. 
For some reason, people think the Bible is magic, you know, and you can just open a page and it'll magically be revealed to you what happened. But that's not how it works. It takes perspiration. <laughs> it takes study and you have to be diligent and it takes God to reveal the things to you. So here we see a case where that happens. So how do I know that there, there's not an error here? How do I know that there's not a contradiction between Genesis 22 and what's being said in Hebrews 11 here? Well, I know it because of the verses like Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he, right? That's a principle, a rule. God is saying that if a man thinks something in his heart, if he makes up his mind to do something in his heart, even before he acts it out, he's done it. God says, you've done it, right? There's only the matter of you acting it out. So again, in Matthew 5, 28, Jesus says, but I say unto you that whosoever look upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her in his heart. So God says, uh, it's not the fact that you committed adultery, the act of adultery, just looking at a woman with the intent of that, you're guilty of adultery. So God doesn't judge people based on their actions. God judges you based on your heart and your intent. So me, I'm, I'm a human being. I can only judge you based on your actions. If I see consistent actions, then I can probably make a decision on, you know, kind of who you are and where you're coming from based on a consistent display of actions. But God doesn't need that. God can see into your heart and your intent. God looks on the heart of man, you know, and we're judged based on what is in our souls, you know, what our soul's will is and its intent. You know, I can't see your heart. I can't see into other people's heart, but I can see the end results. God judges the hearts of men. So there's no question of the accuracy here because God saw that Abraham was intent on sacrificing Isaac. He was going to do it. Now, if God hadn't stopped him, he had already made up in his mind that he was going to do it. Another verse that kind of helps us with this is uh, understand this verse is 1 Samuel 16, 7. I'm going to read that. It says, but the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So God saw that the very the intent and the uh, resolve of Abraham was to sacrifice Isaac. It was going to happen. So Abraham had made up his mind to offer up his son as instructed by God. Okay. That's, that's clearly established. One other thing I want to point out about this account in uh, Genesis 22, a lot of people see that word that he was going to offer up the lad. I think it uses that term. That word makes people think that Isaac was very young. Isaac was a grown man when this happened. So it, it's not just the faith of Abraham we need to look at, but the faith of Isaac. Because Isaac asked his father, he says, hey, I see the, the wood and everything for the fire, the, the wood and everything for the sacrifice, but uh, I don't see the sacrifice. 
And uh, Abraham said to Isaac, father to his son, God will provide, is what he told him. God's going to provide the sacrifice. And it's equally impressive that Abraham trusted God to the point to do this. But also, let's not forget Isaac trusting God in that he submitted to it and in that he became very much a type of Christ. So let's take a look at this. It says that he that received the promises, talking about Abraham, offered up his only begotten. It's very important now to see, and I think this is kind of one of those words that ties this event to the much bigger picture. Only begotten here is a word that means the only child. That's what it means. So it says that he received the prom he that received the promises, talking about Abraham, offered up his only child. So again, somebody will say, Well, that's an error because Abraham had a son with Hagar, Ishmael. So how is that his only child? Yes, he did have a son with Hagar. But we see here something I think that's a valuable principle revealed of God, that God chose Isaac. Now, the whole Arab nation might get angry with me and they, wanna, they may want to fight me and tell me that I'm wrong. But this is what the Bible says, that God chose Isaac. The blessing and all the promises went through Isaac. And for a very specific reason, God would have the blessing of the promise come through a supernatural birth of Isaac. Because remember, Sarah was past childbirth. She wasn't able to have a child. She was past childbearing age. And God caused the baby to come from nothing. And, and that was a picture. That was a picture of something much bigger. Uh, if you think about it, uh, Ishmael's birth was very natural, very carnal, right? It was not done, nothing about his birth was done in faith. It was done according to the law of the land and according to natural means. And God would not have for the blessing to come through natural means. It's just that simple. The blessing comes through the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing is going to take away from him being glorified in that. And here we see Isaac as a type of the Lord Jesus. And this whole uh, situation was created. This entire trial and all this situation in the life of Abraham was created for a much larger purpose. And I cannot um, stress to you and to myself how important it is for us to, when we're going through these things, to understand that it's bigger than us. It's a much grander purpose involved, and it's for our own edification and growth. So let's keep that in mind and just rest in the comfort of knowing that and look for the grace in the trial and not the trial itself and rejoice in it. Praise the Lord in the trial Praise the Lord for the deliverance from it, even before you deliver it. Know that he's going to deliver you and rejoice in that. Rejoice in that before your enemies. 
and make them to see and testify before them of your joy and your confidence in the Lord Jesus. There's nothing greater. There's no greater blessing than that. That's the way you face trials. That is the way you do it uh, with joy uh, and in faith. So God chose Isaac. Uh, God would have the blessing of the promise come through the supernatural birth of Isaac so that the type of Isaac's birth would paint a picture of the one who was to come, the one that was going to fulfill the promises that were given to Abraham, even the Lord Jesus Christ. So being the only begotten becomes a title of preeminence and positional significance because Isaac was set as the only begotten, okay? Not just uh, in the physical sense of being the only child, but the only one that would carry the blessing, the only one that was recognized by God uh, to be um, the bearer of that promise, the one who that promise was extended to. So there's a title and a positional significance of being the only begotten. So here we see the connection to the Lord Jesus, the only begotten of the Father. Not just as being resurrected, but in a very special, exalted position as the Lord of Lords. To say that Jesus is the only begotten of the Father speaks of his position in relationship to the Father. That he is God and he has all the power, all the uh, presence, all everything associated with God is in him. And not only that, he's been exalted above everything. It says through the heavens. He was exalted above everything by the Father, by having this position of being the only begotten. So it's very important that we understand that God and the Holy Spirit uses that word um, specifically to communicate these things to us. In verse 18, it says, Of whom it was said, speaking of Isaac, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So it's very important to understand that God confirmed the election of Isaac. He confirmed the selection of Isaac and that Isaac's birth was a type, uh, a picture of things to come. The one that would come who would be the deliverer, the one that was promised to Adam and Eve. Uh, would 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 come through Isaac. Now God is, you know, focusing in and showing us that line, that godly line that would lead to the full revelation of His Son to us. Abraham was very clear on the significance of Isaac and his birth. You know, Abraham wasn't confused as to, you know, which one of his sons would inherit the promises. He was very clear on it. And even though there's some confusion with people in the world today, um, here we see plainly laid out that the blessing went through Isaac. And Abraham understood that. That was not something that was a point of confusion in his mind. Abraham did not obey God blindly, right? It wasn't just like, well, God told me to do it, so I'm going to do it. No, but... He used what we saw last time in our study, that faith sight, that ability to see through the eyes of faith. And he used reasoning, 
you know, he reasoned based on the promise of God. So his faith was based on something very tangible on God himself, right? Just like us, our faith is based on a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith is based on him. We have faith in an individual person and we walk and we live in light of that. Very important to see that that's the same faith that Abraham had. And he was able to, you know, reason and, and, and understand and come to a conclusion based on the things that he knew about God. That's why it's important for us to know the word of God. We need to study and know who God is and how he's revealed himself in his word and how he reveals himself in our lives through these trials that we go through. He's showing us aspects of his grace, of his mercy, of his power, of everything through these trials. So we have to see them that way as um, God teaching us and having a one-on-one -on -one ministry to us. And we have to draw comfort from that, you know, so we can draw comfort from these trials that come in our lives. Um, so Abraham was able to come to a reasonable understanding and conclusion based on his faith sight. You know, what God had shown him, what God had told him. He None of this was blind, right? None of it. So it says that he took accounting. So accounting or taking account of all that God had said, all that God had revealed to him. So based on all of that, he was able to make an accounting. And we can do the same thing. Verse 19, accounting that God is able to raise him up even from the dead. So Abraham figured, okay, this is where the blessing is going to come through Isaac. And you're telling me to sacrifice him. Oh, well, then nothing's going to happen to Isaac because you've already made a promise to me, God. And there's nothing that can... Uh, keep that promise from happening. So if you want me to kill him, you must be going to bring him back to life because your promise is valid. Your promise is overrides everything else. And Abraham understood that. And we need to understand that. That's something that we need to figure out. That once we come to an understanding, once God reveals something to us about him and his person, that we can rest that on that and we can know that to be true and to be a fact and we can act on that knowledge. That's what Abraham was doing. He's like, oh, okay, well, you want me to kill my son? Isn't this the one that's the only begotten that you said the promise is going to go through? Yes. Oh, no problem then because you're going to have to bring him back because something is going to happen. You have to do something, God, to fulfill your promise. And so I know you can't lie and I know your promise is valid. And so here we see that Abraham was acting in faith. And that's why he told his son when his son asked him, where's the uh, sacrifice? And he said, and while his son was laying down about to be uh, sacrificed to God, he told him God will provide. So, Abraham believed and Isaac submitted. 
Okay, Isaac believed as well. This is not something that uh, we want to look past. The trial was for Abraham. Okay, but oftentimes when we're going through a trial, it affects other people. And we have to encourage them. They may not understand everything that God is doing in our life. And if you're a husband and you have a wife or kids and they see all the things going on, we have to use these trials as an opportunity to witness and make them to understand what we believe, why we believe it. And God will use that in their lives as well to minister to them and to lead and teach them things. So it's very important. We have a great responsibility when we go through these trials to uh, understand the gravity and the, uh, the depth of these things. So once we, un and, and, and another thing I want to point out that it says that accounting that God ab was able to raise him up even from the dead. I think it's really important for us to understand and not to move too quickly past that word, even from the dead. So death has, as we looked at before, has a significant role in our lives. In fact, life has its value in relationship to death. So death is a mystery. Death, there's a power associated with death, and we have to recognize that. You know, once we understand as believers that death has no consequence to us, then we're going to view our lives in a very different way. The greatest power of the enemy is fear, and, and that's the fear of death. That's what the enemy uses to control the unsaved. Once we, like Abraham, take, in the, take an account of the fact of the victory that Jesus has given us over death, we no longer have to be afraid. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 55, 56. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. So we've been delivered from the sting of death. We have that in the Lord Jesus. That's one of the things that he accomplished in our salvation was to deliver us from, from, the, from death itself. So once we understand, like Abraham understood here, that death, God is, has the power over death, and that nothing can interfere, not even death, with God's purpose and plan for our lives, then we can stand, having done all stand, and become a wonderful, powerful testimony to the people around us. And some of them, they're not going to understand it, but they're going to see the power of God in our lives when we come to this place. In the Lord Jesus, we have complete deliverance from sin and the law. You know, how do I know that uh, Isaac was a type of Christ? I mentioned that, you know, Isaac in this situation, uh, that Isaac was a type of Christ in that, you know, he was being sacrificed um, and he was a, the father delivered him, his father delivered him to be sacrificed. And he submitted to that for the, for a purpose, you know, in faith. And how do I know that 
that's true that the Holy Spirit is presenting Isaac as a type of Christ? Well, it says in verse 19, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, okay? From whence also he, being Abraham, received him, Isaac, in a figure. That word in a figure means in a type, as kind of a parable, that this story, this event that happened had uh, future significance. And we can see that now, right? It's clear to see that this was a picture of the Lord Jesus and his coming. But here it says in a figure, in a parable. Um, and we have to understand that there's a lot of types in scripture. And, you know, unsaved people, they don't really get the same uh, impact from a type, you know. But once you're saved, I think the Lord Jesus puts those things there for our comfort. And for me, when I see these types and then I see the fulfillment of the type later on and I see how that God has control and has purposed all these things, it's a comfort to me to know that the same is true in my life, you know. He's purposed all these things in my life and in your life and the lives of his people. And we can draw comfort from that and just know you know, none of this is surprising the Lord Jesus. None of it. And although it's being revealed to us, he knows. You know, he knows. And the fact that he knows is a comfort. So if this was a, if, if, if Isaac and what happened with him was a figure or a type or a parable, what's the moral value of that parable what is the the moral value of this eternal event that has been recorded forever because the word of god is eternal you know after uh everything has happened and you know we progress through the events that have been prophesied as far as the rapture and the tribulation period seven years thousand year reign of christ on earth and then we go into the eternal state after that. The word of God is still going to be the same. It never changes. And it will exist throughout eternity. And in some form or fashion. And it will have a purpose in the lives of uh, everyone who exists into the eternal state. It will be a public record as a testimony against all those who are in hell and in a lake of fire. And it would be a public record and as to the faithfulness and the grace of God extended to those who have been delivered from that fate. So the word of God is eternal. So there's a eternal value here that we can see in this figure or this parable. And I think it's that the same faith that Abraham displayed uh, to all creation, that God would be faithful to his word and deliver on every promise, no matter what, is the same faith that we must exhibit in our lives. The same way that Abraham rested on these promises and was able to make a reasonable understanding that, you know, God has to do what he said he was going to do. We have to come to that same place. And I believe that's what the writer is trying to communicate to us. The fact that um, 
Abraham embraced this, that nothing could prevent the fulfillment of the promise of God, not even death. That's something that we need to come to understand. And I think it's important for us to see that here. Um, that's the same fact that we have to rest on uh, and that we rest our very salvation upon. That God in Christ, by, by way of the Lord Jesus, living a sinless life, became the sin offering for all the Father gave him. And that Jesus, you know, in his being raised by the Father, conquered death for all those who have faith in the Lord Jesus, that he conquered death. He conquered sin and fulfilled the law. So there's, there's no condemnation now in Christ. There's only grace. There's only mercy. There's only love. There's only joy. There's only peace in Christ. God has done everything. He has done everything. All the work that needs to be done to secure salvation to his elect has been done. Now, those of us who are saved, all we're asked to do is to walk by faith, live a life trusting Jesus and what he's accomplished. So if you're listening right now and you're not saved, I ask that you would hear that voice that's calling to you. It's a voice that will convict your heart. Like, I'm not going to look at your life and tell you what's right or wrong with your life. I'm not, God didn't put me on this earth to judge your life. That's not my place. But I am here to tell you that he looks upon your heart and he's going to minister to you and, and he can convict you of the truth of the, the sin that, and what it's doing in your life, what it's doing to you. He can make you to see that. And if, you're, if you feel that, if you're hearing that, then that's him calling you. That's him speaking to you and ministering to you. Not me, far beyond me. That's the Lord Jesus ministering to you. You need to cry out to him to deliver you from the power of sin and death. Because sin and death still has power over you if you're unsaved. And the law is going to be against you. And death is going to be uh, horrible. What happens after death for you is horrible. Today is the day of salvation. Okay? That's what you need to understand. Don't wait. Don't put anything before this. You know, I'm making an appeal to you as one who was just like you before the Lord saved me. Now I know Jesus. Through his salvation, I've learned that he's kind and that he will deliver you just like he delivered me. Just like he delivered uh, Abraham and Isaac. It's the same God. And he is calling out a people to himself he's, that he calls a church. And I pray that you are amongst that people that he's calling. You know, that he would eventually make you to know him and to trust him. Continue to study along with us and learn about him and his kindness and his salvation. Get to know him like Abraham knew him, to where Abraham could uh, rest on his promises and act on those promises in a way to where he exhibited this faith. The faith is a gift of God and salvation. You can't gain it any other way. He has to give it to you. 
and he has it to give it to you. If you're breathing, if you're hearing this, then there's a purpose for that. And it's the, the purpose is either to save you or to be uh, condemnation against you for eternity. But the truth is being given to you. Okay? What happens next? Well, that's up to the Lord Jesus and his will in your life. And I pray that his will is that he wants to save you. And he's going to use uh, this lesson, uh, your study of the word, uh, the ministry of the gospel in your life to do that. Let's close. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for how that you have delivered us um, from the condemnation of sin. How that you've made death to be of no effect that we have the hope and the joy of seeing you that uh, once this life ends we're immediately in your presence and father i pray that we would walk in a way that would testify to what we believe and what you've worked in us that we would receive these trials as um, purposeful and that we would keep our eyes fixed on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.